Well, hey, everybody, good morning, and welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Joel, and I am one of the pastors here today, and if you're just visiting with us, I just want to say thank you so much for being here. It's a joy to have you here, and um, we hope that you enjoy your time uh, worshiping God with us and um, and putting yourself uh, under under the teaching that we're going to be going through today, which is actually us wrapping up uh, the Lord's Prayer. We've been going through a sermon series uh, through the Lord's Prayer for the last few weeks, um, and um, do you guys move, mind moving the slide? Um, and um, so, so we've kind of gone through the Lord's Prayer line by line. This is something we preach or that we uh, pray on a regular basis, depending on the church tradition that you grew up in. Maybe you grew up praying this um, very often. Maybe not so much uh, if you grew up in a in a less liturgical setting, but it's still something you're familiar with. And we prayed it even uh, this morning. We we pray it here at Res City uh, about once a month or so, just as a way for us to for to kind of go back to the prayer that Jesus gave to us. That He told us um, when you pray. You should pray in this way. He sets out like a template for us for how we should approach our God and our Father. So we've been spending time in this prayer as a way for us to, to grow ourselves in prayer and to understand what we're praying better and how we should lay that out for ourselves on a regular basis by just walking through the Lord's Prayer kind of line by line and going in depth in it. And, and the cool thing is, is uh, there is actually a lot of depth to this prayer. We're going to explore some of that today as we wrap it up. But um, it's, it, it, you know, it's kind of one of those things where when you pray it on a regular basis, you, you don't even think about what you're saying. But I want you to really think about what you're saying when you pray through this because that's when it's really going to uh, come alive and like the actual prayer you're praying is going to have meaning to you, which I think is really, really important. And when we do dig into the meaning uh, of what we're saying, I think especially with this part of the prayer, um, we're going to see that this is kind of a radical thing um, that we're praying. And, and we can miss that. We can walk by that when we're not uh, thoughtful about it. I realize I didn't introduce myself. I'm Joel. Uh, I'm one of the pastors. So if you're visiting with us, uh, I'm, thank you for being here. I'm Joel. I'm very happy you're here. Um, but I was so excited to get into the sermon. I forgot to do that. But um, yes, so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through uh, the last part of the Lord's Prayer, the last line here. We just prayed this earlier, so it should be fresh on your minds. Lead us not to temptation, uh, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, remember where we came from. This is good that we prayed it today because it should be fresh in your minds what we've said before this part of the prayer. We're praying for God to bring his kingdom to earth where his will is done um, and, and heaven and earth kind of over, start to overlap. That's what we're asking God for. And in this place, uh, we're cared for, right? We can pray and ask God to meet our needs as he comes and, he, and, he, and his presence is with us. He, he helps us out by giving us our daily bread. That's what we're asking for is just for God to meet our needs. Um, Forgiveness of sins comes alongside that as well. Like we, we are forgiven of our sins. And we also go out now and we, instead of engaging in the cycles of evil and violence in the world, we go out and forgive others now. We're changed as we go forth and the world becomes a better place as, people, as God's kingdom comes and rests on earth. Now, when, when something kind of... Like, here's an example. I used to work at a grocery store in my hometown and we had a Walmart move in to town which has its own kind of grocery section. And like the management at this grocery store was kind of like 
you know, worried about this, right? There's some competition moving in here. Um, we're, we're worried that people are going to stop shopping at our store. They're going to start sh- shopping at Walmart instead. And I remember it being a, like a big deal uh, for me. No one cared what I thought. I just, you know, begged groceries and stuff. But I remembered, like, um, this was like a big thing, this kind of competition moving in. And the same is true when God's kingdom is coming to earth. There is other kingdoms that are in competition with God and, ha- and do not want this, you know, this kingdom to come to earth. And, and we see that in this part of the prayer. So the, the two main competitors, the, the pushback that we receive, we see them both in the prayer. The first is, is the obvious one, the evil one. Or evil itself. It, you'll see different, you know, maybe, you, again, you, you pray different versions of this prayer. Sometimes it's translated the evil one or just evil. But evil itself, right, it, it's, it's, a, it's a thing that exists in the world. And it does not want God's kingdom to come. So there's pushback from that. The evil one is intent on stopping God from bringing his kingdom to earth. But the other thing that is uncomfortable with God's kingdom coming to earth is us ourselves, right? Our own hearts, um, because of our sin, our hearts are contested places. And so while we may desire for God's kingdom to come, like, there's a part of us that does not want to see that happen. And so it's going to push back on that. And we're going um, to dig into those two kind of contested areas that God's kingdom is moving into in this prayer today. So let's go through it. We'll start with the first part, lead us, lead us not into temptation. Now, normally, as you've prayed this, um, I, I would imagine you probably are thinking in your head, God, don't let me get tempted to do some bad things today. Remember Julie talked last week about how we can view sin as just like stealing a cookie, right? Um, just kind of like a, small things even, maybe big things that we're not supposed to do because they make God not happy and so like we shouldn't do them. And, and so when we pray this, sometimes we might think, don't, you know, God help me, you know, don't put any cookies in front of me today because cookies are good and I'm for sure going to eat one if there's one in front of me, right? No, I think you should pray that, right? I think you should ask God to kind of keep you from being in situations where you're going to be, you know, more tempted to, to sin for sure. But I think when we put this sort of on the map of like a biblical trajectory of this idea of temptation, of uh, we're going to get into how, how to better translate the word here, um, we find that it's, there's a much deeper meaning, I think, uh, that's more specific to a specific situation that what Jesus is talking about here. So the word temptation, there is the Greek word parasmas. And, and a better way to, tra- it's a tough word to translate into English. It has kind of a range of meanings, a depth of meaning. That temptation certainly fits, but it's kind of like too narrow of a word. Um, a, a better way to, to maybe uh, uh, um, translate it is, I, I like the experiment. I, like, I really like that. Attempt, trial, proving, um, a, a temptation. Like this is kind of the range of meanings that we're talking about when we're talking about this word parasmas. Um, and so you shouldn't think of it as like a, like a test, like a pass-fail sort of test, even though I think like a test is the right, the right word, maybe the fullest word to describe what's going on here, right? It's not like, a, again, a bunch of, of things you got to check the box for and make sure you get enough right and then you pass the test. It's more like proving. It's more like proving something. Um, lately, Julie and I have been watching The Great British Bake Off quite a bit, and I learned, I'm not much of a baker, so I learned a lot by watching the show, but one of the things that I did learn is there's something that you put your bread in called a proving drawer, or a proofing drawer, and as far as I can understand it, you're kind of proving whether or not like the mixture of, that you have is going to work. It's, your bread is actually going to rise. That's what it's for. It's supposed to kind of help create a space for that to, to, like, to flourish and grow. We have a lot of engineers in the room too. You know, so you, you're proving metal. That's another way to think about it, right? You're trying to 
prove that the metal is pure and you can actually use it for whatever product you're trying to use. I think that's a better way to think about what Jesus is talking about. We're proving or testing a, a material to see what's actually there. Kind of stripping beyond, like putting it in a, in a bit of an intense environment to see what's actually there. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Now, like I said, this idea of test or trial maps onto like a biblical trajectory that extends, you know, from, from this part of the Bible forward and also backward. And so what I want to do is I want to spend some time talking through a, a, a test that happens uh, in the Old Testament, actually. And, and this includes um, Abraham, specifically. All right, so Abraham, if you're not too familiar with Abraham, he is, he is a really big figure in the Old Testament. He is, he is perhaps the biggest figure in the entire Old Testament. You can make a case that no one, uh, no one is, a, is a bigger, more important person in, in the story of the Old Testament. He is the father of Israel. The only reason Israel as a nation exists is because of Abraham, because God chooses him. He sets him apart. He says, I want you to take your family. You're going to move away from this land. I'm going to make you a great nation. Uh, I'm going to give you a child and and that child is going to grow to be this nation that's going to be my special people and I'm going to use them throughout the whole world to kind of bring to, to bless the world that's the big promise that God gives Abraham at the very beginning now there's a problem with with this and that's that Abraham and Sarah are barren they can't have children so it's kind of like kind of like a crazy thing to Abraham at first when God shows up and says dude you're gonna have a kid and this kid's gonna be awesome and Abraham's like uh, one, one small problem with that, God, um, we can't have kids. And God says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you with a child. It's going to happen. I, I'm going to do a miracle, and you're going to have a child, um, even though you've been barren before this. Now, um, it doesn't happen right away. That's kind of part of the problem here. So, so God says this pretty much up front, and then as time goes on, Abraham starts to get nervous. Abraham and Sarah start to worry, like, is this thing going to happen? Like, do, and you know, you know how when you get impatient, right? And you've been waiting for something really bad and you start to get to a point where you just force it. You're just like, I'm just going to, you know, someone told me that they're going to do this thing, but I don't know if I can trust them. So I'm going to go out and make sure this thing happens on my own. I just, I can't let up control of the situation and I want the thing so badly that I'm going to run out and try to fix it myself. That's what happens with Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 16. And so what happens in Genesis 16, I'm going to walk, we're not going to read through the, the passage at all. I'm just going to kind of explain it for you. But Abraham and Sarah, they get so antsy that they decide to try and take the blessing of the child on their own. Okay? They decide to kind of cheat their way to attaining the blessing of this child. And they go and they're like, we're going to try to make this happen by our own efforts and not by God's. And what, what they do is, is they get to a point where they're so like, anxious about this happening that they actually, they actually go out. They kind of talk about this together and they decide, they decide to go out and what, what we today would, would probably call, they, they go out and sexually abuse um, an Egyptian slave, ch- uh, uh, Egyptian slave of theirs named Hagar. They actually go and they decide, like, we're going to make this kid on our own, come hell or high water, and we're going to, we're going to, like, we're going to, we're going to do this, even though, like, it's a pretty shady way to make it happen. But it's the only way we can think of to get the child on our own. And, and actually, the language that we find in Genesis 16, it's it's really pregnant language. It, it has a lot of like meaning to it. They go out and they take this girl, this slave girl, Hagar, to, to have a child with her. And that the language there is really um, 
supposed to, if you're an acute reader of the book of Genesis, it's supposed to take you back to, to the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve are this couple that God has, has put, and he is blessed to be a blessing in the rest of the world that he's created, and, and they decide to take the same word there, we decide to take this fruit and so, try, to, try to take it for themselves, to try to take God and who God is and try to be that for themselves, um, thinking that they can be God on their own power, by attaining wisdom, by taking this fruit that they saw as pleasing and, and going and doing it themselves. And so, so both Abraham and Sarah, just like Adam and Eve before them, are trying to sort of manufacture the blessing by their own wisdom, by their own work. Now, it works. They, Hagar has a child named Ishmael, um, and even if it's not the child, the one that, as you've been reading Genesis so far, that you've been expecting them to have, the one that comes by a miracle to this barren couple. Right? It, it has now come through just awful means. But they have the child. And there's a danger in that. Right? There's a danger that this child has now come because it, it might actually you know, convince Abraham and Sarah that their power was sufficient to create the thing that they wanted. They were able to get what they wanted um, and that their, you know, their, their very like, terrible way of going and getting it is actually approved in some way. Right? And, and it starts to kind of create the illusion of blessing, even though we as readers know that there's, there, there can't be any way that this is, the, this is how this thing is going to work out, right? Like, we know this can't be right, right? But if you're Abraham and Sarah, you want the thing so bad, you have what you want, there might be this illusion that, yeah, we were able to get this on our own power apart from God. He wasn't trustworthy, and what it took was for us to kind of go out and earn it ourselves, attain it through some hard work on our own. Now, what happens is Sarah gets jealous, actually. She kind of decides, I don't actually think I want this to be the case after all. And so her and Abraham get together and talk. And Abraham is totally complicit with this. Um, but Sarah decides she's going to go out and try to harm, harm Hagar now. She, like Her jealousy gets the better of her. And so Hagar flees and meets an angel who cares for her and the child in, in the wilderness. And, and in the wake of their, their machinations, they, they're able to kind of see that they've actually made an incredible mess of the situation by, by going going out and trying to take the blessing for themselves. The thing that God had said, I'm going to give this to you. You don't have to do anything. I'm just going to give it to you. You just have to trust me. In them trying to take it for themselves, they made a huge mess of things. They've ruined lives, and they're no closer to getting the blessing than before because they realize now this is not the child that's actually going to give us the blessing. But in our, in our zeal to try to get this thing, we've made things much worse now. Now, let's pause for a second. We are all Abraham and Sarah right? We, we are, God wants to give us this blessing of eternal life. God wants to give it to us freely. He doesn't, he's not trying to make us work or earn it. In fact, our work is actually counterproductive, just like Abraham and Sarah. It's going to create more problems than they're worth. It's just going to dig us a deeper hole. But God wants to give us this eternal life. And, and what I mean by that is a fulfilled life, the life that we're meant for, that resonates now and in the future someday when God comes, when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom on earth. God wants to give this to us freely um, through grace, through his presence, but we just keep trying to take it on our own power. And in doing that, we just make messes of things. Right? We want to earn it um, through our hard work. We want to buy it with money. We think if we have enough money to throw at it, we can buy eternal life for ourselves. We want to win it through our power, our charm, by being authentic. Uh, we we want to be true to ourselves and think that we can get eternal life by just do, being who we think that we, is best for ourselves. Uh, we try to do it through politics. Like We love to try to use politics to try to attain this. Um, we try to satisfy ourselves by thinking if we just find the right sexual partner, then everything is going to be totally fine. 
fine. And all the while, we miss that God wants to just give it to us despite our efforts and in spite, of our, in spite of our failed attempts, too. Despite the fact that we do create messes for ourselves, God is still trying to give us this eternal life. And that's what happens to Abraham and Sarah. Despite everything that they've done, by sheer grace, sometime later, Sarah actually does conceive of a child. And this child is named Isaac. Now what happens, so several chapters later, and, and, and a lot of time has still passed here, more, more time than it takes you to read a couple of pages in your Bible, but um, by sheer grace, God has, 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 told, has given them this child now, Isaac, and he started to grow, into, grow up a little bit, and at a certain point, sometime later, we're told in Genesis 22, God decided to test Abraham. He tested Abraham. Now this is our clue, kind of, that the word, the trial word that we found earlier in the Lord's Prayer is showing up here. God decides to to test Abraham. And what he does, and this is, you might know this passage, it sounds horrible, right? God says, hey, Abraham, I want you to, you, you have this child, Isaac, whom you love. I want you to take him to a mountaintop and sacrifice him to me. And it's a hard passage, right, to stomach, like, because that God is asking for this thing. But when you put it in context, you realize, like, uh, that this is just kind of like a reflection of the horrible things that Abraham and Sarah have done as they've tried to get the child themselves. Are you, are you willing to give your son up to me, Abraham? This, 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 uh, this, this child that you have wanted so bad, you've been willing to ruin people's lives, to harm them, to go out and do terrible things to get this blessing. Are you willing to give that up for me? Is that something that you're willing to do? Now that you have it, are you willing to give it up? Now that I've given it to you freely, are you willing to part with that thing because you value me so much that you would give it up just, just because I told you to, even if you didn't understand? And this time, Abraham is faithful. He's willing to do it. And God stops him. He stops him from doing it. But, but he's seen that Abraham, he's tested him to prove whether or not Abraham is actually faithful, actually loves and desires God, sees God as the blessing more than this child itself. He's willing to give up Isaac uh, in sacrifice to that. And, and we, it's a kind of a, a test, a, a, a trial that God puts Abraham through that we see in this book to really figure out who Abraham is deep down, to show Abraham more than anything who Abraham is deep down, and to teach him that God himself is better than the blessing that he gives. Now because, again, let's, let's step back, because we all do this, sometimes we are going to, like Abraham, find ourselves tested by God to figure out where our allegiance, where our desires truly are at. Is it in the things that God gives us? Is it in the good life, the things that we expect God to shower us, the blessings, hashtag blessings that God is going to give us? Or is it in God himself? What is the thing that we actually desire? And we, like, so we find out the hard way sometimes where our heart is actually aligned. And the only way we can find that out is by going through some sort of test or some sort of trial. Now, I don't want you to think of this as like karma, right? Like Abraham did something bad, so now something bad happens to him, and the same is true to us. It's not like a punishment. It's, a t- it's, an ex- it's to show us like who we actually are and to kind of test, to show, show again, to show like, like the metal or show if this is bread that's going to rise, right? And we see that kind of rise up in us. And that's, again, so to kind of t- put a bow on it, this is what Jesus is talking about here in, in the Lord's Prayer. He's calling us to, to keep us out of, out of testing because we don't want to find out the hard way, you know, where our, where our hearts and our desires are at. And so when we pray this prayer, this is what we're asking. Father, help me to know my desires. Do I desire you or do I want to take eternal life for myself apart from you? Keep me from finding out the hard way, right? 
It would be preferable to avoid finding out the hard way where your desires lay, right? But sometimes that's just going to happen, and that's what we're asking uh, to not happen. Now, like, I know people in this room who have gone through what I would call, like, the trial, like a hard, a hard time where you feel like just everything is falling away. You feel like nothing makes sense anymore, right? I've gone through that my own, my, in my own life. Like, I can think of times in my life where I felt like I was going through this thing. And, and I've seen the people, like, that I'm thinking of in this room show perseverance and faithfulness in tough circumstances. So I want to, like, commend you in that. that it makes me so excited to see, to see that, right? But... Continue to pray for this, right? It's not a fun thing to go through. And that's why Jesus says, hey, keep us out of this. Now let's move on to the second part of the prayer here because it ties into what we're talking about. The second danger to God's coming is, is the way the NIV translates it, the evil one. Sometimes, like I said, it's, you can see it translated evil. It does sound like from, from scholars I've read that the evil one is probably the better way to read this in Greek. Uh, it doesn't really matter a ton. Sometimes what we're praying for when we pray for deliverance from the evil one, what we're doing is we're asking for safety from true evil that we see in the world. Um, praying for deliverance from the evil one like, is what you would pray in the Holocaust, right? It's what you would pray in, in terrorism. We see true evil in the world at times, and we're asking God to keep us safe from this. Um, the, there's a, and, and listen, the idea of Satan is like, something that in our society we just kind of don't know where to put it, right? Like, let's, if you're being honest, as a Christian, you maybe you've been a Christian your whole life, you might still not be sure, like, what drawer do I put this idea of Satan in, right? It's just kind of a weird thing for us, especially in the West, to think of some personified evil who's out there trying to, trying to mess with us, right? But at the same time, like, you can't, you can't, like, you can't look at the world when you really look deeply into some of the evil that manifests in the world and say, like, this is just some humans who went, you know, went haywire one day. Like, you just can't come to that conclusion when you look at true, true evil in the face. And we in the West are, like, we're, we're kept at a distance from that, thankfully, because we, we live in an affluent society. And so what, what happens for us is because we're not seeing true evil many times is Satan has a different tactic. He, right, like, uh, you guys have heard the phrase, not today, Satan, right? It used to be a, a more popular thing for people to say, I think. But that's just kind of like, you know what, Satan, you're not going to keep me from having a good day today. I'm going to go out and have a good day. Not today, dude, right? Satan doesn't want to just give you, have, make you have a bad day, guys, okay? He doesn't, he doesn't want to do that. He has a different tactic for us in the West, I think. E- true evil will show up, right? There are still places, even in the West, where true evil is lurking. It's kind of, kind of hiding. It's kind of in between the cracks, Right? But even if you don't, if you don't see that, that's, that's okay with, for Satan. He's willing to try and sift us in a whole different way. He's got different tools in his toolbox. And I think for us, that has to do with, it connects back to the trial. Uh, Kendrick Lamar is, is a, a, a really famous rapper. Uh, I, I don't know how many of you have actually listened to Kendrick Lamar. He, he's really good. He has got some of the deepest lyrics that you'll find. And I actually think, you, you might be, if you've not listened to him, you might be surprised to hear this, but he's got a great vision for, I think, how Satan works out in the world. In his album, To Pimp a Butterfly, there's a character named Lucy who shows up. Lucy is short for Lucifer. Um, that, that's kind of the idea, right? But it, it fits in better that Lu- Lucy shows up. She's, she's this good-looking uh, studio exec. She runs a record studio, and she wants to help him accomplish his dreams. She wants to help him shoot for the stars. She wants him to become the best rapper in the world. 
But she wants him to go about and do it by attaining and earning it and, and making himself think he's just the best that there is. This is a, an article, uh, uh, someone named Taylor Jip on Medium wrote this, but she describes kind of the way that Kendrick Lamar traces this idea of Lucy and what, she, you know, what she's trying to say to him as he's trying to like make it big as a, as a rapper. Um, this is what she's whispering in his ear. Kendrick says that the evils of Lucy was all around him and that he was going back and forth trying to convince himself that he'd earned his success, that he was worth the praise. It's this self-absorbed pride bordering on self-worship that Kendrick repeatedly identifies as the fundamental sin. At bottom, to sin is to put oneself on a pedestal to forget about the necessary limitations of being a human. Lucy and her agents constantly appear in his songs to flatter him, to tell him how he deserves fame and wealth, to put a mirror in front of his face that will show him a seductive reflection of himself as more than he can ever be. So she's trying to get him, just like Abraham and Sarah, to to go and grab the child, grab the blessing on his own, and then look at that and say, look how great Kendrick Lamar is. No one is as great as Kendrick Lamar. No one can compare with his greatness. Look what he's done to attain the blessing through his own hard work and to attribute everything that's happened to him, everything that he is, as if he himself is basically God. That's, that's how Kendrick Lamar talks about what, what Lucy's trying to do to him. And that, I think, is such a deep and like nuanced vision for how Satan is working towards us in the West. He, he wants us just like Kendrick Lamar, just like Abraham, to believe that we can make our own child through our own efforts and that this child is better than any child of grace, any child, any blessing that God would give to us. This is actually better. It's better if we earn it ourselves. It's better if we work ourselves and grasp the blessing on our own instead of taking it uh, freely from God. And if that's the case, right, if we truly believe that, what's the point of worshiping God anymore? If it's just, it's just our own work that, that's gotten it for us, right? We can look around, we can, we, can, we can truly say, I'm a self-made person and no one else helped me get here. If that's truly where you're at, and that's a lot of people's goals, right? What, what's the need for God anymore? There is no need for God anymore, right? It's all about you. You should just worship yourself instead. Now, the truth is there, there's fertile ground for that in our culture today, right? That's easy for that message to take root, and Satan is aware of it. So he's, instead of using what we would call true evil to try to just tear you to shreds, this is his preferred method for us today. It's not hard for him to do. And I love that, again, just side note, I love that Kendrick Lamar is so aware of this in his, in his, in his uh, album because you can listen to other rappers and it's the total opposite. Like they're, they're, they're bought in on this lie from Lucy. So when we're praying now, when we're talking specifically about the evil one, when we're praying through the Lord's Prayer, this is what we should be praying. Father, when I'm tested, keep the evil one from tearing me from you and turn my heart to love and worship other things, even myself. Now, that sound hard, right? I, I, that, that might sound hard to you, and that's a good thing. That's why we pray for deliverance. It's supposed to be hard, right? If we could figure it out on our own, then we wouldn't have to pray to God for it. it. But we're praying to ask God to deliver us from Satan, whatever form that takes. It can come in many different forms, right? Um, if, if it is through true evil, then, then the temptation from, from Satan is going to be to lash out in a response respond in evil ways instead of forgiving others as we've been forgiven. That's going to be the temptation, to do the same evil that's been done to us to whoever it is that's doing evil to us. But when things are good, the temptation is to, you know, keep us on our way and make us think the reason that things are good right now is because, boy, we sure have done a lot of good things to uh, deserve the good that's happened, right? 
Now, here's the problem. And you, if, if you're tracking with me, you probably have said in your head, uh, you've already said this to yourself, you're going to fail the test, right? Spoiler alert. Inevitably, you will be like Abraham and Sarah. You might, you might be faithful like Abraham was in the one story we told, but you're going to be like Abraham and Sarah in the other one at times, right? The blessing goes through for Abraham and Sarah. If you know the story of the Old Testament, you know that Isaac uh, gives birth to Jacob, who gives birth to 12 sons who become the nation of Israel, that, and the nation of Israel becomes this great kingdom until it's not really a great kingdom anymore. It's actually a pretty messed up history. If you read the Old Testament, the pattern that, that Abraham and Sarah sort of set becomes the normal state of affairs for the nation of Israel. It's kind of a tainted blessing. It's a blessing from God, no doubt, but it you can never escape the fact that people keep acting like Abraham and Sarah. They keep trying to take the blessing for themselves. Uh, Abraham is among the greatest names in the Old Testament, right? For he, Abraham, Moses, and David are the, kind of the three biggest names of people in the Old Testament, other than God himself, obviously. And we can identify all the great things that they did, all the times that they were faithful to God, that they sought him out and God blessed them for that. But we can also count all the times that those guys messed up too. Moses, the liberator of Israel, the guy who, who set Israel free from a nation, he kind of took on the, the most powerful man in the world, uh, Pharaoh, to set the, the nation of Israel free, right? Abraham does that by relying on the power of God eventually, or sorry, Moses does that by relying on the power of God eventually, but before he does that, he tries to set someone free by, by killing an Egyptian uh, slave driver. He's like, I'm going you know, to set people free, but I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to kill this guy. And that creates a whole lot of problems for Moses. Or David. David is the king that takes Israel to the height of its power, right? Everyone looks at David as sort of the quintessential king. And even Jesus himself is modeled as a sort of David because of what he does when he comes as king. But David, uh, he falls for the, he, he's at the height of his power. Power. He falls for the beauty of a woman, and he uses his power as king to get her husband to go to the front line uh, of, a, of a war that's being fought. So her husband is killed, and then he kind of swoops in and uses his, his status as king to, to kind of take her on as another wife. Like, dude, okay, ser- seriously messed up. Seriously messed up stuff. This kind of becomes the pattern, the normal state of affairs for people in Israel um, because of sort of the, the trajectory that's set by the father, the one who starts Israel off, Abraham himself. The whole Bible is just filled with wreckage from Abraham and Sarah as they cr- that they create as they try to attain their own blessing. And we're the same. We're plagued by the same unfaithfulness and we create the same wreckage as we go around uh, you know, with mixed success, you know, being faithful than being unfaithful. And no blessing, no eternal life is going to come from that sort of mixed, mixed uh, grasping a hold of things, right? So what we need, because we fail the test, is we need someone who won't fail the test. We have to have someone come and cheat for us, cheat, you know, like we need someone to come in, take the test for us, and then write our name at the top and hand it in. <laughs> That's what we need, right? We're not going to pass the test on our own. We need someone who's going to be faithful through and through to, give a, to get the blessing for us so that we can grasp a hold of it um, by relying on him. And that person is Jesus, that per, the one who, passes, who, who is faithful to pass the test for us so that we don't have to worry is Jesus himself. We get a good picture of this. Again, like I said, this word, this idea of the trial, it, it, it tracks throughout all of scripture. We see it pop up over and over again. And if we just 
you know, we, we're in Matthew 6 when we're talking about the Lord's Prayer. If we just jump back a couple of chapters, we find Jesus himself goes through his own trial. Um, uh, Jesus is, after he gets baptized, he gets led in, by the Spirit into the wilderness in order to be tempted, that's the same Greek word there, um, by the devil. And in this story, um, Jesus is out there, he's hungry, he hasn't eaten for 40 days and for 40 nights, and Satan shows up and he kind of, he, he tries tries three different things to try to tempt Jesus with, to try to get Jesus to give up on his, his mission of bringing God's kingdom to earth and to do something else instead. Uh, to, to, he tries to tempt them to do what Abraham and Sarah and Adam and Eve did, to take the blessing into his own hands and to try to fulfill God's purposes on, on, apart from God. Um, the, the first temptation he says is, hey, Jesus, you're the son of God. Why don't you make your own bread? You know, why would you create a prayer and tell people to pray, you know, that God would give them their own bread? You just make your own. Like, you're the son of God. That seems pretty simple to make your own bread, right? Um, instead of asking God for it, go get, you know, go get it on your own, right? You can grasp this on your own. You can earn it. It's going to be better. It's going to taste a lot better if you can look back and say, uh, I worked pretty hard to make this bread. The second thing that he, he, he does is he tries to get Jesus to twist God's arm by, by jumping off of a cliff and, and getting God to save him, right? Kind of, kind of making God serve him, kind of, you know, kind of corralling God into doing what he wants to do by like jumping off a cliff and making God save him. And the third one, and this is the one I think that is, is the craziest, he says to Jesus, oh, did God send you to be the king of the world? Oh, well, you know, like, I own all the kingdoms of the world, right? Why don't, you know, he takes Jesus to the top of the temple, we're told, and he says, you know, it would be a lot easier for you to get these kingdoms if you just bowed your knee real quick and worship me. I could give them all to you. It'd be a lot simpler. You wouldn't have to go through with any of this hard stuff that you're doing. I'll just give it to you. You can kind of cheat that. You can, you know, all you got to do is just kind of be more about my agenda instead. It would be a lot easier. And Satan knows that Jesus has come to bring this blessing instead, right? So he's trying to keep, again, this is contested, right? Where Satan wants to keep the, the kingdom of God from coming, and he's trying to thwart it from whatever way he possibly can, and so he, he tests Jesus with this stuff, and he's offering Jesus the cheap way of attaining the blessing on our behalf, a cheater's way. The way that Abraham and Sarah take, the way that Adam and Eve take, the way that David and Moses take, the way that we take, and Jesus resists, even though knowing that resisting all this is going to lead him to the cross. He knows that the way, the only way to truly attain the blessing is, is, is on the cross. But he knows that that's the, the only way it can come, and that's the best way. The true blessing is going to come. Forgiveness of sins is going to come for us as well. Because all the times that we mess up, that we create, we pile up wreckage, just like Abraham and Sarah have trying to attain the blessing, Jesus knows that he can take, he's going to take care of all of that as well by dying on the cross to forgive us of our sins, to take away our own sins so that it no longer condemns us. He knows that the cross is the way to do this, and, so he, and he stays faithful, and now as we rely on him, we pass the test as well. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we should add this onto it as well. We should know, I guess, that this is what we're praying. Father, when I'm tested or the evil one is trying to sift me, remind me to rest on the victory of Christ who has defeated the evil one. This is a prayer of faith, a reminder that deliverance has already come and in your hour of testing, you can pray boldly knowing your debt has been paid and that Satan lies on the ground on the receiving end of, of a knockout punch. Christ reigns, he's taken the test and proven himself faithful because we are not and we can rest in that and grasp the blessing through his faithfulness.
So what we're going to do now is just like every week, we're going to close uh, with some communion where we remind ourselves of Jesus giving himself up on the cross on our behalf. Anyone, please, if you're just visiting, we, we invite you up to the communion table to take part to remember Christ's body broken and his blood shed for us. We just ask that you are a follower of Jesus. Um, we're going to have time of prayer. Someone will be in the back praying for you. If you want prayer for anything at all, if you feel like you're going through some sort of trial or test right now and you want prayer for that, someone will be in the back praying for you. We're going to enter into a time of worship where we worship God instead of, of focusing on ourselves. We're going to focus on God through song. And if you would like to give as a way of worship as well, we have a box in the back that you can give as well uh, to the church. What I want to do to, to pray to close us is I actually just want to pray the Lord's Prayer, but I kind of want to unpack each line of that, as, how we've unpacked it as we've walked through it here. So, so bow your heads, pray with me, and after I'm done praying, we'll head into that time of worship. God, we pray that Res City knows you as Father and that we worship your holy name. Help to make your name and love known in our hearts and in our city as well. Lord, uh, we, we pray that through us and apart from us, you would bring your kingdom to St. Paul, to Minneapolis, to the surrounding areas, to the state of Minnesota, to this country, to this world. Um, help your earth in its sin and in its rebellion to be replaced with heaven where your love, where your loving will is done, where people are cared for and grace reigns. Give us what we need to do your will and to be your kingdom people, no more, no less. Help our needs to be cared for, uh, but to not be spoiled by excess as well. Forgive us for our failings to do your will, uh, uh, to, to bring your kingdom. Forgive us for loving our own kingdoms more than yours, and help us to forgive one another when we harm each other or when we are harmed in the church and help us to not be marked by our division but instead by the same love that you give to us. And Lord, keep us from testing as a church because we will fail to love you fully as our hearts are revealed to still be full of sin and self-worship. But when you do, Lord, keep us safe from the evil one whose desire is to distract us from our mission and to destroy your work to bring your kingdom to this earth. God, we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus, whose faithfulness we can rely on day in and day out. Amen.